You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: the roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. All right, you're good. Hey, welcome everyone to episode 14 of Across the Room of Us, where we're going to sift through the detritus and the post-mortem after the fallout from the Napoli loss this weekend at the San Paolo, Stadio San Paolo. We're also going to look forward to what's in the store in December. It's going to be a new month, and uh, will it be a Jello Eros or Christmas coming up, or will it be a bit more grey? I wanted to open up this episode. It's me, Sean, and I'm joined today with Stephen it's just us two once again in the post-match recap. And I wanted to open up this episode just by touching on our last episode and Diego Maradona, who recently passed and was commemorated this weekend. I actually grew up as someone who was raised to dislike, if not plain hate Maradona and Argentina as someone growing up in England in a country that was very bitter about the fallout from the 1986 World Cup and the loss to Argentina in the hand of God. And it took me much, much later to catch up on the full story of Maradona's career. Uh, being a Serie A fan now, obviously I had to, and a bit of a history buff, I had to get myself educated about Maradona in the last few years and, and his impact on Serie A and world football in, in, in total. And you know, even with my upbringing, I have to say today, it's impossible to overstate Maradona's impact on the game itself, not just in Italy, but in the world on the international stage. And I was really happy, Stephen, last episode, because I, I was tuning into the episode wondering if you and Joe would gloss over Maradona or maybe understate or underplay his, his impact. But uh, you really brought in someone who, who knew his stuff, a true Napoli fan. Um, and I, you know, I just, I was really thankful for that because it's, uh, yeah, like I said, it's, we could talk about Maradona all day, and I'm sure we've, we've heard about him over the last week or so, but um, it's, it's all merited because there's just some things he, he did in the game on the pitch itself were just, he showed that they were possible, but they still remain highly improbable for anyone to, to repeat them today. So um, I enjoyed episode 13. I want to say congratulations to you. How, how are you feeling today? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm okay today. You know, rough game yesterday. Tried to get past it. Had to go to work today, so I couldn't really dwell on the, uh, the loss. But uh, I'm, I'm glad you appreciated me bringing on Joe. And I think it was important to get a Napoli perspective on the whole thing because for me, for example, I wasn't watching Calcio back in the early 90s when he was really in his heyday. So I really didn't, you know, I know he's considered one of the greatest players of all time. Where he's rated depends on who you ask and their opinion. But you know, certainly one of the greatest players. He had a big impact off the pitch from everything I've been hearing too, in terms of helping those in need and things like that. So definitely a big personality. And uh, unfortunately for Roma, from from our perspective, they ran into Napoli on the wrong weekend, um, you know, after his passing and them paying tribute and everything yeah. didn't work out for Roma. Do you, do, you, do you think that actually had an influence on the game? Was it, is it? It's, it's hard to say. Um, I'm sure they were a little bit, you know, maybe had a little extra motivation without the fans in the stands. I think it's a little less significant than it would have been if there was a packed San Paulo. I think if the San Paulo was packed, it would have been a really intimidating atmosphere. I mean, the atmosphere clearly didn't have an impact on Romy yesterday because they didn't show up with or without the fans. Um, but I, yeah. I, I feel like some of the, the Napoli players certainly must have felt it a little bit, especially someone like maybe uh, a Lorenzo Insigne who grew up in the city uh, probably has heard, tons of stories if not seeing you know some plenty of Maradona clips I think he was a little young to actually have seen him play I don't know if he ever saw him play live but I think with certain players I'm sure the day resonated a bit well there, there were many times when Maradona 
uh, actually visited Napoli mm-hmm. even in the last decade. So he would have had the opportunity to meet several players on his team in, yeah. throughout the years. And also there, there was the um, the people in, in Napoli itself and around Campania breaking curfew in the last week to, to come to the, the commemorations on the street uh, in front of the Maradona murals. So I think on that level, it was impossible for... Uh, the Napoli team, at least, to not be affected by what's going on in their neighbourhood in the build-up. Yeah, uh, yeah, I agree with you that the fans weren't there on match day. Uh, so, yeah, maybe a limited impact, but an impact all the same. Yeah, it's, it's just another example of, you know, the the sadness of 2020 in a way where, you know, a player like Maradona couldn't get the proper send-off from the San Paolo crowd, you know, um, because yeah. they weren't allowed in the stadium. But they certainly gave him quite the send off on Thursday night for the Europa league with those flares circling the the stadium, really giving it an atmosphere, even though they weren't allowed into the grounds. Mm. Okay. Well, we're going to get into the recap now, the nitty gritty of Roma's defeat this weekend. As we just got done talking about, we know that the Maradona's death overshadowed it and the commemoration, uh, not just in the pre-match kickoff with the minute silence and the, Maradona being projected over the the stadium and uh, the adios, the D10S, goodbye to God message. But also during the match itself in the 10th minute, a little later than the 10th minute actually, but uh, once the ball went out to play the first opportunity in the 10th minute, the referee called for a minute's applause from all the players on the pitch. And that was the moment where it seemed like Roma seemed to switch off after that, which we'll, we'll talk about much later in this episode, but uh, Roma were given the, offer, the honor of playing the last game at the San Sa- Stadio San Paolo before it gets renamed as the Stadio Di- Diego Armando Maradona. Again, another well-deserved commemoration to, to the legend of football. Uh, that change will be made in the next week or so in Napoli. So it's a piece of history. Roma go down, unfortunately, in flames, but also in the history books as the, the last opponents uh, at the Stadio San Paolo for Napoli. They went into this match before the game with the chance to go second in the table and keep up with AC Milan setting the pace at the top. Uh, Napoli, on the other hand, had the chance to draw level on points with Roma and several other teams on 17 points. Uh, we know that the latter is actually what happened, and Napoli win. They won the match four, four to nothing with goals from Insigne in the first half from a direct free kick. In the second half, Napoli built in a lead with Fabian Ruiz, uh, Dries Mertens and finally ex-Roma Primavera product Matteo Politano it was actually a fairly even game despite the scoreline it was a fairly even game in terms of goal chances and possession Roma actually got a five shots attempt five shot attempts in Napoli's penalty area against Napoli's seven shot attempts in Roma's penalty box but obviously the quality of the, the shots were worlds apart Napoli's short attempts were wide open chances uh, with Roma caught on you know, sixes and sevens at the back, whereas Roma's were really just snapshots and half chances and really didn't threaten Napoli's keeper, let alone their, their defenders in the back line all match long. Um, yeah, as possession was 54% to Napoli and 46% to Roma. So it wasn't a game where one team was just sort of holding onto the ball and, and slavering it um, on Roma. It was more of a, a game of cat and mouse where Napoli clearly dominated the, the, the battle for space and time in the areas where Roma usually get their way against weaker opponents. But we'll talk more about it more later on. Um, after this 4-0 defeat, Italy's Roma with just three wins under Fonseca in all the 15 league games against Italy's other top six teams. So this is now feeding fuel to the fire about whether Fonseca has really prepared his Roma players for the big matchups, the ones that count against uh, the other top-of-the-table rivals, or is there something there to be questioned? And this is also the heaviest scoreline defeat since Fonseca took the Roma hot seat. Since he's become a coach, Roma have never, never lost a game by this scoreline. 4-0 is heaviest defeat, and he will have to Spend this week on a training pitch finding answers to bounce back immediately against Sassuolo next weekend. So that sums up the game. It's uh, all ugly reading, but we'll get into the key moments. And Steve, can we make any sense of the motivation behind this defeat? Um, you know, what 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 has brought Roma to this point? We, we, we mentioned in a couple of episodes ago 
that this was really the first big winter test for Roma and they failed it on all counts. But uh, what, what disappoints you the most? Yeah, it was a shocking defeat. Um, it, I'm not surprised that they lost the match per se, but I'm surprised in the manner in which they lost the match. I thought if, they, if Roma were to lose this match, it would be a close match, maybe 2-1 uh, loss. Or if they'd won the match, it'd be close the other direction with, the, with a good chance of a draw. But, um, you know, they started the match, I thought, in the first five, ten minutes very nicely. They had a nice chance. They the, they didn't really get a shot on target. But they had a couple little, you know, spells of possession in the first few minutes where it looked like they were going to come out the way they've been playing and attack the opponent and and put Napoli under pressure. And Napoli, who's been struggling, as Joe pointed out in the preview episode, uh, that he felt their defense was vulnerable. And Roma did not really test them much after the 10th minute, which was very disappointing, in my opinion. Um I know a couple people pointed out on Twitter that that early offside call on Mkhitaryan really shouldn't have been blown dead when it was. And then after that, Roma didn't do yeah. anything after it. I mean, I'm not blaming yeah. a, a blown offside call for Roma going flat after that. But, you know, in, in retrospect, no, that, that, did, little, that one did that one did confuse me. You know, in the age yeah. of VAR, I, I expected it to go to the, let them run the play. Yeah. yeah, I was surprised by that, too, because later in the match, there was a play where Napoli was offside by, you know, a good three, four yards, and they let the play play itself out before Mirante made a save, and then they blew the whistle. But, you know, why not let that yeah. Mkhitaryan play run? Because it looked like a good goal-scoring opportunity. It looked like he was probably onside, and they blew it dead. So that, that confused me. But that's far from the reason Roma lost after that 10th minute, like you mentioned earlier, when they had the Maradona tribute, it's like Napoli turned things on. Roma just went flat. Um, I, I don't know what happened there. I, I don't know if Fonseca, I, you know, was wondering, did he just outsmart himself this match? Did he change too much tactically or was it some of the absences that hurt Roma? I don't know, um, you know, what to make of this defeat. What, what, what was your big takeaway from this as like maybe a reason for it? I mean, even though it wouldn't be the key reason, the main reason for me would be the um, the no-shows from from Roma's key players, mm-hmm. which you can't really predict. But um, when we talk about the, the 10 minutes in and, and uh, the, the difference between the opening and the rest of the match, um, one of the things that I really, really don't like to see in any Roma game makes me feel nervous when I see it is uh, after 10 minutes, we saw Roma deciding to... Um, play five men flat in the back line or standing in line, and that's just asking for trouble in, mm-hmm. in, in any football team. You know, not you don't have to be Roma, you don't have to be any particular player. No team wants to see their defenders all standing in the line, just waiting for danger to happen. Um, whenever I see it, I always get nervous. I know that we're inviting trouble onto us. Uh, we saw it against um, Juventus when they went down to ten men and we we went ahead in the game. I even highlighted it in the in the article the, the next week. Um, Roma standing flat with five men, incredibly narrow, all in a line. And you know, on that day, Juve equalized because, I mean, when, when you stand like that, you just you're just giving the opponents so many options so they can either run at you or they can send the ball over the top. You know, that's sport for choice. Um, so you're really just inviting the nerves onto you. And we did that yesterday from ten minutes in. And it just felt like from then on in, we gave Napoli the space, all the space in midfield that they wanted to, to you know, to just have their way. Um, yeah. That was, you know, that was that was one of the biggest, like, visual disappointments for me. I, I don't think it's the biggest reason, that, you know, the biggest factor behind the loss, but it was one of the things I just don't want to see. And I've seen it against too many top six opponents to 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 wonder what you know are Roma just scared? Um, what what Fonseca said in the post match about it seemed to suggest that th- those weren't his instructions to talk. It's more like he lost. Um, uh, the, the mentality of the team, the team went onto the pitch and somehow lost courage um, in the middle of the match and started playing cautious. So um, I don't know what they saw in Napoli's play that made them frightened and putting the frighteners on, but it just, uh, that was mainly my, my disappointment was that we, we gave up midfield and we gave up the battle for the wings um, in, a, in a way that was very reminiscent of how we lost to Sevilla as well. Yeah, um, I saw some, some comments uh, on social media that it was very reminiscent of the Sevilla match. Uh, yeah. I don't know what happened because it looked like we came out the aggressors in the first 10 minutes, which I was happy to see. Uh, we've been mm-hmm. the aggressors in recent weeks, which is why I think Rome has been playing so well and keeping other teams off the score sheet while scoring, uh, you know, goals for us is because they've controlled possession. They've controlled the pace of play. They've controlled the, from the aggressive nature that they've kept the ball out of their own net and were able to put some goals past obviously weaker opponents in the you know form of Parma and Genoa, but also beat Fiorentina and, 
you know, they, they went toe to toe with the first top of the table Milan, but um, yeah, they went very flat. And I don't know if it's because they saw Milan hit Napoli on the counterattack last week that they figured if they ceded some possession to Napoli, that maybe they could do the same because Roma has looked dangerous in the counter at times this year that maybe they figured mm-hmm. if they, you know, sat back, absorb some pressure, they can then, you know, take the ball and then maybe spring a couple counterattacks and look dangerous, but they didn't look dangerous at all. Um, they just ceded way too much possession to And when they did get the ball, they just gave it away. I, there were points in the match. They couldn't sp- string together two passes. It was, it was very disappointing. Yeah. Um, one of the players that a couple of the players that were very disappointing to me were a couple of the big players up front. And I know Bren wrote the sinners and saints today and the three biggest sinners, a couple of the biggest sinners he pointed out were those players up front who we rely on so heavily to, do so yeah. much and Pedro Mkhitaryan and Jekyll didn't play well either, but Pedro just kept giving possession away. I, I don't know if sometimes he's just overconfident on the ball and he got himself in trouble, but yeah. it was not the Pedro performance we've come, you know, accustomed to seeing since his arrival, but he was a big mm-hmm. factor in a lot yeah. of the giveaways. Um, I was surprised he lasted so deep into the match. Cause I thought he had a very poor match. Um, I believe he was actually the one that went, did he yeah. end up playing the whole match? I, I believe. I think he, yeah, he, played, that, he played all yeah. 90 minutes. That's, yeah, that surprised that was, me as well. That was I, shocking. I, in to the me. first half, I was, yeah, in the first half, I was already saying that this is like a zero performance for him. I don't, I, I, I that makes it sound like I was attacking him. I don't like to attack players, but it was just that bad that I was, I was like, he, he just, it was hard to see anything that he was doing right. You know, he was, he was trying to his credit, he was trying to assume responsibility of digging the team out and getting them out of the half, but everything that he, it's like the more responsibility he took on himself, the more he did wrong. Yeah. Um, because he just wasn't pulling anything off. Um, but is is it actually Roma's game to control possession, or is it is it not become that uh, Roma's natural game to to look for the counter attack, to, to to look for those you know, try try and draw the opposition off to them so they can hit them on the fast break? Yeah, I, I think that has become their 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 game, and you know most cases, I I know against Juve when they hit them back for that second goal, they hit them on the counter attack. I, I know that. We've seen Roma yeah. very dangerous in the counter this year. It's been one of their ways of, of hitting teams, you know, because one of the things we've talked about, yeah. one of their biggest weaknesses is when they are playing an Udinese type team that digs in and they control possession. It's breaking down teams that are dug in. So I don't know if that was, mm. that's become their mentality is like, you know, we'd rather hit you on the fast break than try to break you down. Um, but it certainly backfired yeah. this week. Um, you know, Jack, we, we heard it from Fonseca. So we we heard it from Fonseca midweek, um, where he he said that uh, what he's learned in Italy is actually to give up his obsession over possession of the ball and actually to appreciate what he can do in the attacking transition phase more. So it seems like that's uh, Roma now overtly admitted that they're they're more of a counter-attacking team. That's that's their comfort zone, and it, it looked to me like that's what Napoli took away from them. They re- they refused to to be hit on the break by Roma. They they actually played for domination of the wings. Um, they they pushed. Spinazzola and Castle back and, and cut off the passes from, from the wide men to the midfield. And Roma simply panicked from then on in. That's, that's what I saw, at least. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And, um, you know, another guy, we welcomed Jekko back. You know, I'm a fan of Jekko. I thought having him back would be mm-hmm. a, a big key for Roma in this match, especially with the big physical center back like Koulibaly on the other side and Manolas, who are two pretty solid center backs. I thought Jekko would be important for Roma holding a possession, gaining possession, but he was a shell of himself. I know he was coming back from COVID and he played, I think about 30 minutes on Thursday proved he was fit according to Fonseca, but it was, it turned out to be a mistake in, in, in my opinion. And I was happy Jekyll was starting. I projected him to start. I thought it it would be key. Like I said, but do you think Fonseca Mm -hmm. should have started him in retrospect? Maybe if he should have, should he have pulled him sooner? What do you, what do you make of the Jekyll start? I mean, (laughs) I, I wasn't, I wasn't leaning either way uh, beforehand. I would have, I would have understood how he started Jericho, given that Mayoral played um, on a, on a Thursday. So, yeah, in in terms of like a squad rotation point of view, it makes sense. But I also feel that Mayoral has done very well, and um, I don't necessarily like anymore, even though I used to. But nowadays, I'm not that big of a fan of Jericho coming deep, um, given the team that he has behind him. I, you know, we we just talked about Roma playing on the fast break and I'd, I'd rather have a forward that you know we've talked about it so many times before but I'd rather, I'd rather have a forward at this point with this Roma team that stays up and stretches opponents and, and makes them think about standing back rather than 
trying to bait them into coming deep as much as Jacko is good at doing it and he's, he's done it well because you know that was that was a key part of the the fast break goal that you just mentioned against Juve it mm-hmm. was you know Jacko coming deep and, and pulling them to his half and, and Veretu pushes on beyond him um you know very reminiscent of uh Spalletti's false nine days in the in the mid 2000s but uh, I've I've had enough of that you know like I, I'm just not a fan of the false nine play anymore um I'd rather see a, a traditional out and out striker play whether it be from Jacko Mera or not as you said though in retrospect it looks like a mistake uh, that Fonseca started him if you know if he knew that his condition was anything like what was shown yesterday then why would you start him it just, yeah it served no purpose yeah, he might have been more effective in a closer match, you know, the last 30 minutes off the bench or something maybe um, because, yeah. you know, Meyer also been playing fairly well and he's been scoring goals and I think he's starting to earn himself some more minutes. Uh, it'll be interesting. I think, you know, Thursday's probably a heavy rotation match again. I think, you know, Jekyll probably gets a day off considering his fitness. Maybe he mm-hmm. does a 30-minute cameo at the end again just to start to get his legs back or maybe Fonseca starts him, but whichever way they go on Sunday, they're going to need more out of their, their forwards than we, we saw on, you know, this yesterday, because, um, and I, I wonder if part of it with the the substitution patterns, Roma isn't deep up front outside of Meyerall and, um, Carlos Pettis, there's not much else up there for Fonseca to go with his sub. So I feel like he does need another, maybe veteran type presence or someone who's a little more established as as another option off the bench. Maybe we talk about El Shirari a lot. I don't know if they bring someone like that mm-hmm. in in January, but I wonder if Fonseca's mentality is it's it's you know those three are like the leaders of the team, and when you get in a match like this, it's like well, if we're going to come back, am I going to trust the young kids to do it, or do I stick with my my big guns? And I think sometimes he sticks with them too long in this case, where he didn't really sub any of these guys out until fairly late in the game, and there was so much going wrong that it's almost like okay, you're down two nil why don't you roll the dice with a pet as a little sooner or with Meyer all a little sooner? Um, you know, I, it, I don't if, know. If you, if you have an opponent that's not letting you uh, play fast football, you know, the, like the kind of physical fast football that where young players thrive, you know, we've seen Zaniolo, Perez, um, you know, young, young fours generally tend to do well when you're playing direct, but if, if your opponent is not letting you play direct and they're actually asking you to, to actually think your way through the game and use the ball on the technical level, isn't that the case that you have to actually stick with your most mm. you know, experienced and technical players to, to dig you out in that sense? Yeah, no, no, that's a good point. And that's uh, probably part of the thinking behind why he kept a guy like Pedro in for so long, even though yeah, perhaps. He, he struggled and Mkhitaryan was very quiet, you know, yeah. uh, they didn't get them involved. Um, you know, an- another issue to me was, I think the Mancini injury early, you know, you came in with Ibanez questionable. I don't know how much train, how much these guys trained together all week. I don't know if there was something to that, um, mm. but you know, losing Mancini hurts, losing Veratu certainly hurt. I mean, by that point it was already two nothing when Veratu came out of the match, but losing key players like that is, is a tough pill to swallow in a, in a match like this, especially, um, yeah. you know, Gab Marcotti's on ESPN. And he actually said that, you know, Fonseca has been doing it in recent weeks with a little bit with smoke and ma- mirrors with all the guys he's had injured. You know, they've been filling that back line with anybody they can find, including like Chris Dante, yeah. Juan Jesus, we didn't think was going to play for Rome all year. And look at him now. He's playing um, like quite, a, <laughs> quite a few times already. Uh, quite pivotal, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, he's become one of our, our starting center backs in some matches, which yeah. is, and not just because of turnover, because he's been forced to play. So you know, but what, with, what what do you make of what do you make of the the latest tactic of like I mean I know you praised it last week when Mancini played on on the left and Ibanez on the right we saw it again yesterday but what what's the thinking behind that because I don't understand it personally this match I didn't understand it the other match they were playing um, Parma right with Gervinho coming down that that right defensive flank I believe yeah, and that's yeah. why I think he played Ibanez yeah. there that match but to me this What's match that? it didn't really make sense because. I don't think either Insigne or Lozano is a real burner that Mancini wouldn't be able to keep pace with either one. I don't find either one to be much faster than the other, at least from what I saw. Mm. So to me, it mm. didn't make a whole ton of sense. And it was actually Ibanez's foul that set up that first goal. Um, you know, yeah. he, he made that foul, got that yellow card on the outside of the box. And with a player like Insigne, that's the last place you want to foul Napoli to set up a free kick. It was we, he yeah. killed us with a curler from open play uh, during the summer restart, and he killed us again with another curler. Um, nice, nice shot. I know Mirante took a lot of flack on that too for his positioning, 
Um, and we'll get into mm-hmm. Minante next. That was his, really his first bad match. But you can't give Napoli because Napoli up to the goal, I felt like even though they were starting to build into the match, they didn't really have too many clear-cut chances on goal. It was after that first goal that the, the floodgates started to open a little bit and they started to get better chances. Yeah. They, they gained confidence, I think, from that Insigne goal. That really, That's very true. I, I thought, sprung them forward and, and really put Roma on the back heel because up to that point, you know, Roma was absorbing some pressure uh, for about 15 or so minutes. And then, you know, Ibanez fouled Insigne. Uh, I don't think he fouled Insigne. He fouled somebody else. But then Insigne stepped up and curled it in. And that was when Napoli yeah. started to really pick up their play. So... Yeah, uh, that you know, that you know what really it, it reminded. You know what it reminded me of. It actually reminded me of the manner of how we beat um, Cluj. Was it Cluj in the last Europa League match? Yeah, last week. Um, yeah, so it, uh, it you know we on paper beat them two 0 but the it was kind of a, a match where we didn't really create our own chances, and and the goals we scored were kind of you know like they were very fortunate. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's how I felt about the opening of of this game was that. Uh, things were pretty much even, and it was hard to see how either team would really eke in front. And then suddenly, you know, direct free kick, set piece, and Napoli, uh, you know, the chemistry of the match changes all of a sudden. That's that's how it looked to me. Um, how, how much do you apportion blame for the first uh, goal on Mirante, or or is is does the wall come into it? Because I, I felt like if I was going to criticize Mirante, it was actually for the, the setting up of his wall, which is paper thin. Um, but then also he has no he has no control over um, Henrik Mkhitaryan choosing to duck under the ball, which some people commented on after the match. So well, how, who, who's to blame? Yeah, I think it's a combination of things. Um, I, I know Mirante, they, they, a lot of people, including the commentators, commented on him cheating a little bit too far to his left rather than his right, where Insigne snuck it in. He also didn't take a step before he dove, so his dive was kind of short. But yeah, the wall mm. plays into it too. Um, you know, Mkhitaryan ducking under it. Your job in the wall is really to to block the shot, not to, you know, really not shield get out of the way keeper. yeah, not get out of the way and potentially shield the keeper. Um, but overall, Mirante, definitely his worst match we've seen in a while. Um, yeah. You know, he's become a, a, a real steady presence in the back for us. And yesterday was not that. I think it was the fourth goal where, or the third he goal, the third or fourth goal where he parried it out and it was just, just yeah. happened. Um, yeah. So he had a rough match. Even the, the Fabian Ruiz one, the second goal that put us, you know, really in, in deep trouble was not the greatest shot in terms of pace or anything. You would have expected better from him. He was shielded because it came through True. Juan Jesus's leg, so it was tough for a keeper to stop yeah. that. I, w- the- I would have, I would have let him off for of that one because it, it caught me by surprise. Yeah, that, you know, he's got it under under Jesus's legs. So, yeah. yeah, in lifetime, I wasn't sure what happened because it really rolled into the net. It wasn't struck with much power. Then when they showed the replay from Mirante's perspective, you could see that it was through Juan Jesus's leg. So. A little yeah. bit of that's on the defender, yeah. I guess, for not getting a better, you know, positioning on the shot. But it was a little disappointing because the goals that Napoli scored to put us down 2 nothing. yes, great shot by Insigne, but set up by a bad foul. And then Ruiz's goal, which was not the prettiest goal. And then even the ones that, you know, were it when we were backs against the wall, the 3-0, 4-0 goals, neither of them were great goals. It wasn't like we were beat on, like, a great play, like, by anybody you know when when we give a couple yeah. of those goals against milan like that eber goal was a great individual play outside of the mm-hmm. insignia free kick which like i said was set up by a bad foul we didn't really give up great individual plays it was more just roma playing poorly i felt like did did it feel to you or was it just me that, it, that i felt like roma gave up about 20 minutes towards the end you know the, the yeah. man after the last two goals it felt like uh roma would just say okay well we'll just let it happen now I, I agree. I, I think they gave up toward the end there. I think it was 2-0 two, two and, you know, they they were not getting many chances on their own and it kind of went flat and there was a lot of space open in the, yeah. up in the back as you try to push forward to get that tying goal because the last two goals were in the last 10 minutes um, and yeah. literally the last 10 minutes because the referee blew the whistle without any stoppage time. I think he actually blew it yes. at like 9.58. So yeah. volumes he, to the type he of took, he took was. He took mercy on us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> I guess that that moves us on to our key players because we've, yeah. we've been talking about uh, the, the the bottom falling out of uh, Roma's whole mental approach to the match, and I I I personally put a lot of it down to, as you mentioned before, in your own words, uh, the leaders of the team really not showing up. Mkhitaryan, Jacko, Pedro, you know, do, is there is there any is there any way you can legislate for that before a match? I mean, you know, a, a lot of people will maybe try and open up uh, this match result as a as a way to talk about tactics and 
um, the suitability of certain people for certain roles in, in the Roma midfield. But if if your your key players you know don't show up, I, I don't think anyone's predicting that before match. And you know, if you're if you're playing basically with essentially you know eight men and uh, the other guys no showing, how how do you how do you recover from that? And and is that what you know, are, are Roma emotionally dependent on these three players to, to carry them through games? Yeah, it, it's tough to to predict this before the match. Like you might expect one of these guys to have an off match here or there, but all three on the same night is is going to be too much for almost any team to overcome when your three key attacking players all have off nights. And like I mentioned earlier, Roma's attacking options on the bench are fairly thin. Um, it's two mm-hmm. young, two, the two young Spaniards. Um, so really there's not much for Fonseca to do to mitigate it when they have a bad night, you know, to try to counter that, you know, the problems that they're having. And I, it, I don't think you can ever predict three of them having this, the bad night on the same night. It was just like the perfect storm in a bad way for Roma in, in those terms. Um, and then like we had mentioned when yeah. he was Veritu, and I actually thought Veritu came off later. He came off at halftime before the second goal. So I hadn't, I had that wrong before. Um, then you're losing. I think, your, I think your, he did come off later. Yeah, uh, he came off at, at the. I 40- think he, he played on. He played on till the second half. Yeah, the 46 minute they have him coming out here. So right at halftime, he got hurt late in the first half. Finished out the half. It looks like, according okay. to uh, who scored. Yeah, he he came off. He came came on the sideline like I think 40 41 minutes in. Got, yeah. got some strapping to see out the half and then. Yeah. I think and he got subbed at halftime. halftime. Yeah. yeah, he got subbed at halftime and they scored in the yeah. 64th, the second one. So you have those three players having an awful match and then you lose your engine in the midfield, which which hurts too. Um, so it was it was just too much yeah. to overcome, in my opinion. Um, and but, certainly unpredictable. That, that, that also that puts a spotlight on uh, other, other, other leaders in the team you know, uh, among the young guns. I mean, I, I personally, in the last few weeks, having seen... Uh, Mancini um, overcome maybe the doubts around his game and, and really put in some stellar performances. I, I personally feel like mentally he's right up there as one of the leaders of the mm-hmm. team. But is, is there anyone else that can that can carry Roma emotionally through these matches when things aren't going well? Yeah, I mean the guys that tend to wear the armbands when when Jacko isn't on the pitch are Pellegrini and Cristante. But I don't know if they're the most vocal leaders. I don't know if they're the the real leaders yet. I mean Pellegrini in some ways is starting to you know come into his own a bit as a player, which you know, I guess earns him more respect from his teammates, but um, he, him and Cristante and even Mancini, as you mentioned, still are fairly young in comparison to most of the team. The only real players in their prime or past their prime are those three forwards. You mentioned the Vertus, you know, um, maybe a Mirante, but there's not too many of those players that have a lot of experience to lead. And that that's, you know, that's something to take into account too, like you had mentioned. And Mancini came off early. So you're playing, a fairly inexperienced back yeah, line at that him. point. You know, Ibanez is young. Yeah. Cristante is not a true center back. And Juan Jesus is Juan Jesus. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, he's mediocre at best. He can put in a good performance here and there, but he's not someone we rely on. So losing Mancini in the is back. This, is this, is this, is this a hold that Nicolo Zaniolo can feel mentally? Is, is he a guy who can carry his team on his shoulders or is he too young? I, I He's still young. We'll see what he comes back you know, at, at what point from the injury, I think he's got the charisma to do it though. He's got more of the personality. I think he's a bigger personality than some of these other young players on the side from what I've seen. I think yeah. him and Mancini have those big yeah. personalities, which is why I think Mancini, as you point out, is starting to show up as a leader. Cause Mancini is a guy who's a little more vocal. He's, it seems like he will get in players faces if he has to, and, you know, have those words of encouragement, mm-hmm. or if he needs to say something, he'll say something um more than some of the other young players in the team and i could see zaniolo growing into that mold too because he seems to have that charisma whereas cristante and pellegrini seem a little more reserved which is not always a bad thing but if you're going to wear the armband you might need a little more um i i I guess charisma would be the word um maybe there's a different way to describe it but yeah i think mancini seems more like a natural leader um like you pointed out than the others there's just something about him i think that that do you see the same thing or do you see it differently? Yeah, I see. He reminds me of uh, how De Rossi came up. Mm. You know, he's, he's, not, he's, not, he's not the most naturally gifted player of, of everyone around him, but he will find the answer. You know, he, he will find the answer to put in the best performance. And mm-hmm. that says a lot about some, where someone's head is at because you have to really have a head for the game to do that. You know, so that's, he's kind of a, you know, I'm not trying to make any comparisons with De Rossi, but he's, you know, on that, 
it is in terms of style of leadership or charisma as you say he's in that mold in my yeah. opinion um i i mentioned zaniola because even though we're, we're skipping back and forth between uh points that we wrote down um i thought it was a good opportunity to talk about how um you know i think i think you should love this one because you you highlighted it in a, f- in a few weeks gone by that roma's attacks in this game came uh over half of them came down the left flank 51 percent and uh it really begs the question does anyone really have the courage to drive the ball you know when when uh when opponents are getting up in your face on the wings and they're, they're challenging you to really physically brush past them is is Spinozola on the you know the only wide man in this team afraid to drive the ball right now or is you know, is, is is some of this uh, owed to the absence of Zaniolo, who we who we know can dribble down the right as well. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, you know, Zaniolo is kind of an afterthought these days because he's been out for so long and we don't expect to see him for a while. But the looking mm-hmm. at those numbers, fifty one percent down the left is is a big number when you look at it. a couple of weeks ago. We saw a more yeah. balanced approach where they were all around the thirty percent mark. Um, yeah. But they become very predictable. I feel like when you're driving everything down the left side, it puts more pressure on Spinazzola. A lot of the time he would have two guys in the corner ready to defend him when he did push down toward the box. Um, you know, Karsdorp is the kind of guy you would expect to be able to, to push down the right. He's a big physical, you know, wing back with, you know, good skill. And he didn't do it. Um, you know, I think they do miss Agnolo in that sense, like you'd mentioned, because different type of player than Pedro Mkhitaryan. He's more of a direct player and maybe a match like this was begging for more of a direct player. I don't know. Hmm. I mean, Pedro, I saw Pedro try, but as we said, you know, he tried and failed. Yeah, <laughs> so not 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 we'll, quite the same physical presence. As, yeah, that, that's uh, as true. Yeah. He's, he's 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 a diminutive player, but mm-hmm. I I do somehow see him get the best of people. Um, you know, he's not. I've never seen him get brushed off the ball, put it mm-hmm. that way. Um, but I just for some reason his final ball yesterday it was his final decision was just not good. I, I saw him. At one point in the first half, actually give the way a ball by passing it in, in the middle of the pitch up front, which is exactly where you don't want to give it away. It's, it's one of the worst mistakes you can make, and, and I, I'm just really surprised to see it from a veteran like Pedro. Um, you know, it, I, I imagine if someone like Lorenzo Pellegrini made that mistake, he'd get slaughtered for it. And, yeah, you know, it's just <laughs> it's just really surprising. But um, yeah, uh, I think we've pretty much in in a roundabout way we've covered most of the, the key player performances in terms of who had a bad performance and, and how that uh, affected the match yesterday. And I one guess, thing, um, um, before we move on, Sean, I just want to throw in one more yeah. thing. Considering how how much we pushed down the left, to me, Mario Rui on Napoli's left, our right attacking flank, is a much weaker player than uh, Di Lorenzo. I mean, Mario Rui, we had him in the capital for a season. And I still don't understand how he still starts for a team like Napoli. I, I don't rate him very highly, but Roma didn't really? seem to really... That- I don't know. The thing I don't... is that I, I remember last season, he, he was probably, a, the, if not their best threat, but their second best threat against us, at least from, from the way I remember it when we played them last season. He, he was a big threat on the left. So yeah. I, I I take your point in terms of I've seen him get manhandled on yeah. off the ball from like players like Mohamed Salah in the Champions League. That was, was brutal to see. But um, he seems like a, a player um, not too dissimilar to Lorenzo Pellegrini, whereas if, if the team works to to make space for him to do his thing, he can be dangerous on the ball at least. Yeah, I'm I'm talking more as a defender too, though. I, I don't okay. I don't see him, you know, being that strong of a defensive left back. I I, I could be, yeah. you know, jaded from his time in the capital when he wasn't that impressive of a player and he was shipped out after a season. Um, no, I, I agree with you there. Yeah, yeah. defensively. But I thought maybe a Karsdorp, go at him, you know, and maybe that's yeah. where Azanyolo could have been a, a key type player where if he's dribbling down the right flank right at Mario Rui, Rui could have yeah. problems. But I don't think Roma tried to go at him enough yesterday. Okay. Well, I, that more or less covers the key players because we feel like, I mean, I, I, don't, I think you agree that most of all, it, it wasn't really – down to tactics is more down to performances on the day that yeah. shaded the you know the scoreline. But there's going to be this um, talk in the background about Pellegrini and Veretout tactically. Um, are they the, are they the right combo for this um, defensive midfield when things get tough? When when time and space is is not going Roma's way in possession, do Pellegrini and Veretout have what it takes, or or do they lack composure together? Do they need a more calm midfield partner to to really balance it out for them? 
It's a good question. I mean, they've put in some pretty good performances together uh, in recent weeks. Yesterday, the whole team really didn't perform, so it's hard to say, especially with Vertu coming off at halftime and really being injured after about 40 minutes. It's a bit of a red herring to, to link this question to this game because I felt like it wasn't a big theme, but it, it might yeah. become a big theme in the, in, the, in the next few weeks. It could be. And actually, when you look at the numbers, uh, Pellegrini had the best defensive numbers in terms of interceptions and clearances and and those okay. numbers. Yeah, he had um, one tackle, three interceptions, three clearances, a blocked shot. Um, the only other player that matched him in interceptions and clearances was Spinazzola with three in, e- in each of those categories. Okay. So I think he's starting to quietly become a better defensive player positionally than he has been known to be. I'm not saying he's any way, shape, or form a, a De Rossi in the midfield where he can anchor a defensive midfield position. But I think he's starting to grow a bit in that role. And, you know, nobody had a great performance. We know that Roma had a very poor performance as a team. He was the highest rated player by who scored at 6.67. So still a fairly low mark. Hmm. But uh, I I see him get killed on Twitter and these, these, these places for, I don't know if the expectations for him are so high because he's Roman born and bred, but I feel like he's been a pretty decent player in the midfield for us. And he's had a, a good run of form before COVID. So I, I, I don't know. And uh, you know, yesterday too, there's, he has his critics, but I don't think he's been as bad defensively as people make him out to be either. Um, he's not a Diawara in, in those I, terms. I wasn't, but... Yeah. I, I wasn't thinking of critiquing him defensively yesterday. I, I was more thinking of two of the things he mentioned earlier today, which is Roma. As soon as they got the ball, they gave it away straight back again. Mm-hmm. And uh, the second one was, um, I can't remember what, what. Sorry, I can't remember what the second was in the back of my mind. But they, they both struck me as um, themes that have followed Lorenzo Pellegrini where, throughout his Roma career so far. Is that um, the story around Pellegrini is really he's a different player when he doesn't get the time and space he needs. If, if yeah. he gets time and space, he can be as dangerous as anyone in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you start to take away time and rush him, uh, he at least. In the past, before the season, he tends to make bad decisions, rash decisions, and uh, and really rely on his his um, his like little cocoon of uh, trying to look for the final ball as like his confidence maker. Yeah, um, I, I didn't see him looking for the final ball yesterday, but what I saw was as the match went on, Pellegrini started to run upfield and and play more attacking midfield um, where the space was to be had yesterday because Napoli was spending a lot of time in Roma's half. So he, you know, it's kind of like how. Pellegrini last season would and throughout his Roma career has, has looked to go wide to find space rather than stay in the middle because he just lacks that technical ability to to do that close control and and uh, and really live with um in, in those little pockets like Villar or Diawara does. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's where I was critiquing him. Thinking of critiquing was you know not necessarily defensive shift, which I agree with you. He's he's become more well-rounded in that sense, but. On the technical level, does he have? Does he really have that ability to to put Roma over the, over the top when pressure is on the midfield? Yeah, that that's a good point. That is a place where he uh, may not be as strong as the other midfielders in the side. Uh, when VR came on, we saw he's much better in those tighter spaces yeah. than than Pellegrini. That that is where he is a better fit. Um, you know, but definitely becoming more well rounded. But in in certain matches where the the spaces are limited, he may not be as effective as a VR or a Diawara. I saw uh, on one of our our boards on one of the articles um, that one of us wrote this week that um, it might have been the problem formation. Somebody asked if we thought that a Pellegrini VR midfield could work. What what are your opinions on um, on that situation? Because we saw it a little bit yesterday. Is that um an ideal scenario is that just an emergency thing because i was a little surprised dior didn't come on and that vr came on yesterday i think the yeah i'm very surprised that the treatment of Diwara. Mm-hmm. um it makes me think of uh, comments that justin clivert made this past week where he openly said to the dutch press that um things were going well for him last season at the beginning of the season he was playing and then suddenly um you know halfway through the season uh, he fell out of favor no one told him why and he just stopped playing and he, and he, he couldn't figure it out. And it, like that reminds me of Diawara's uh, career in Rome lately is that um, I know that he's gotten the, the COVID positive test um, recently that kept him out of the team, but there have been opportunities to play him where I felt like it was calling for him. And instead it's, it's VR who's gotten the, the nod. So it seems like he's gone down the pecking order. And it's, it's strange to me. 
Um, as far as Pellegrini VR, I, I don't see why it couldn't work. It's uh, It would call for um, Pellegrini to be more of the the runner in the side to do what Vertu normally does. Um, I think that's the problem with whenever you leave Vertu out of the conversation mm-hmm. is that I worry if anyone can really cover the ground that he does. You know, I, I personally don't think that uh, Vertu's had such a great season this year. I think it's been average at best, but that's still, uh, I wouldn't let myself uh, discredit the the important role he does when he he joins the attack. You know, when he when he makes those runs forward um, and becomes a, you know another option for opponents to worry about Roma passing it to, he creates that space for others to to make Roma so lethal on on the fast break. And then and then before you know it, he's running back and he's he's joining in defence. So he you know, like I said, he's the engine of the midfield. Yep. And you know if you play Bellegrini VR. You know that VR is not going to be putting in that midfield engine shift, so it's going to it's going to fall to Pellegrini to make mm-hmm. up the mileage, um, which he is capable of. But can he really do it ninety minutes week in week out? Yeah, and um, I I think you made a good point with Vertu. He hasn't stood out like he did last year in in a team that's mm. been playing very well up until yesterday. But I think that's part of the sacrifice someone has to make that personal sacrifice, and he's so good at making that sacrifice for the team where he doesn't need to stand out, but he puts in that 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 work rate every match. Uh, and that's why yeah. he's so indispensable to the side. And that's why I think he starts almost every match, you know, uh, mm-hmm. just because he puts in that shift that not everybody puts in, uh, you know, it was like that nine yeah. comparison where nine would just run and run every match and just put in that shift for the team. Um, and I don't know if the other midfielders we have will do that. Um, it'll be interesting this week because coming up, if there too does miss considerable time, we have Sassuolo coming up and we'll talk about that match in, in a bit, but It'll be interesting to see what combination Fonseca turns to against a, a team like that if Vertu is yeah. out. Were, were you surprised Diawar did. didn't get the the nod at halftime over VR? Did you think he would have been a better fit for this match with the way Napoli was attacking us? I guess, yes, I was to be honest with you. But I can under, I can also understand it. Uh, you know, VR is more when you're down on the scoreline. VR is more attacking mm-hmm. than Diawar tends yeah. to be. So. I can understand the decision, but in terms of um, experience and composure, and and also just being more like you know, you you gotta think when you're chasing the game that Napoli are gonna try and exploit that and try and Mm -hmm. break which break which they did. And Diawara to me is the most uh, the safest bet we have in terms of defensive midfielder. Um, You know, you you called it last week when you said that. There was, um, you know, Fonseca had to start via Dilrara midweek against uh, Cluj, and he did because we had a defensive crisis where you need that, you need a good shield in front of them to who can, you know, intercept the ball and and keep it in Roma's control. And Dilrara is very much that guy. You know, he's the best defensive midfielder we have in that sense. Um, so yeah, both both via Dilrara, both control players, both will let you have your fair share of possession. We'll see if. Um, if Roma tend to like move away from their counter-attacking game and, and start to field one of the two or maybe both more to, to maybe look at more possession in the games to you know to get them through this little rough patch that they're having and this injury spell they're having. Um we're gonna yeah, we're gonna move to a very speculative question now where we probably won't find the answer today. But uh, Stephen, as we said, this is, this is now an ongoing theme for Fonseca and Roma, where Roma have come up short against direct rivals once again. Um, it's the, the last real big uh, ammo for the doubters, of Fonseca doubters, to, to throw at him in Rome is, you know, can you do it against the big teams? Can you do it around the, the teams around you at the top of the table? Well, you know, we've seen that Fonseca has been spoken of as a very charismatic person and uh, a guy who can convince and talk anyone into doing what he needs them to do. But... Um, if Fonseca is that good of a man manager, well, it seems like it's, his management powers are, are failing him in this area. So, what, what does Fonseca have to persuade, have to do, sorry, to persuade Roma to compete in these kind of matches against opponents who, who won't let Roma have their way in games and won't let Roma just hit them on the fast break? What, what can Fonseca do about this? Yeah, it's a great question because we saw this. This was a common theme last season too, where Roma struggled against the bigger sides prior to the restart, after the restart. You know, this season we had the the two matches prior against big sides. We had the Juve match, which as Roma fans coming in, you know, we got the 2-2 and we were like, wow, that's a great result. If you told me coming in 2-2, we would have taken that in a heartbeat. But when you look at how the match played out, it was disappointing because Roma were up a man, up a goal. 
So circumstances dictated that we weren't happy with it. Uh, and then again, the Milan one, you know, three, three was actually, I felt we stole the point from them on the road. It wasn't a terrible result because of, you know, we fell behind a couple of times. I thought we showed a good mental fortitude in that match to come back three times. But this match, I think just we continue to see this theme where even though they were up on Juve, even though they went toe-to-toe with Milan, they couldn't get a win. And now they just got utterly embarrassed last night. Like you mentioned, the, the worst defeat in Fonseca's tenure. And I'm a big Fonseca supporter. I've, I've been behind him all season and even last season when, um, you know, during the summer when the heat started to mount on him before the win streak. I think he deserves to be the coach. I'm not saying in any way, shape, or form should he be fired or relieved of his duties uh, mm-hmm. at any point in the near future but it is a bit of a worrying trend because when you only have three head-to-head wins in 15 matches against you know your direct opponents for those champions league places for if you eventually want to become a scudetto contender in the future you need to win some of those matches head-to-head you you know you're never going to beat those big teams every time you know sometimes a draw is good enough like that when the the match in milan again in the san siro the draw was turned out to be a pretty good result but you know, when you're up on Juve 2-1 at home up a man, you need to figure out how to manage that game better to win the match. This match, you know, yes, bad individual performances. But again, I, I don't know how good – and I'm not the biggest tactics person, but I feel like Fonseca almost outsmarted himself by sit, having his team sit back, five back, absorb so much pressure. Sooner or later, Napoli's got those speedy small forwards that are going to break you down, I feel like. And I, I don't I don't know – I don't know if it's the his approach to these matches. I don't know if it's the players still not having that belief in themselves after a couple of lean years, but and so much turnover where those players that were on that team that came back against Barcelona are mostly gone now. I don't know what it is, but they've got see, to it get seemed, it right. It seemed to be the it seemed to be the lack of belief. If if you yeah. go by Fonseca's comments in the post match, it didn't seem like the five man uh, dropping back deep was his idea at all. He he, he commented that. Uh, Roma didn't have didn't show the courage to actually attack space uh, to try and compete for space in midfield. Um, he highlighted that there was a right flank problem. He you know he spared Karstorp the indignity of naming him, mm-hmm. which is fair enough. You know you don't want to single out anybody, but it, it was really Karstorp. What from what I saw, who had so many opportunities to actually push up and you know this is a really basic thing uh, you know, in terms of tactics. I, I don't want to say um, you do this as a basic thing because I've never been a pro football player, but mm-hmm. it's a it's a basic thing that you learn when you read up on on tactics and you learn the game is that one of the first things you learn about is playing the, the what the Italians called the, the diagonale, which is really just your fullback pushing up on the near side. Whenever the ball is played, pushed up his flank, uh, dri- driven up his flank, he has to push up and, and take away that that space from the the attacking winger in this case, Insignia. Um, or, or Rui, whoever it may be that's coming, is driving the, the ball up. You have to come up in their face and really, you know, try and take away that time to try and force them into an early decision so that they, they, you know, they can't have their way down that flank. And instead, what we saw is Karstorp just dropping back and more focused on staying in line with his defenders. And you, you don't do that. You know, that's yeah. not that's that's a, a real basic thing. I can't I can't tell you how basic it is, but as, you know, in no team would you want your fullback to do that. And uh, it was it was so. Um, obvious that it was even you know Fonseca commented on, on it after the match. Um, for me, I I think his immediate options are I, I don't know if he actually has the you know the powers of persuasion to do it, but somehow he's got to drill it into his wide players to just be more more brave and mm-hmm. uh, and like you said you know Castle is a is a big guy you know he's, he's put together in a, in a decent way physically so you know he's got to convince these players to, to actually use their physique and and compete up front. Yeah, that, that's a good point. I mean, you have to have that belief. And I think that's what we see missing sometimes without Zaniolo. Not that he plays the same exact position as Karzor, but he maybe he's just young and naive, but he'll go at anybody with the ball. And yeah. he's not afraid to push up. And, yeah. you know, we've seen that with other players in the past where they're not afraid to take players on. And, and none of our forwards are afraid to take players on at this point because we have these three, you know, strong veterans up there. But in terms of some of the other players, like those wide players, like a Karsdorp, just, you know, you're a big guy, you know, you should be able to take on the Insignes and the, the, the Ruiz of the world. He shouldn't have yeah. to back down physically to a player like that. You know, Spinazzola has the, 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 the drive and he pushes that left flank, but you know, like I mentioned earlier, then it becomes so left flank heavy that it really yeah. makes Roma so unbalanced that they're much easier to defend. And uh, I don't know if Bruno Perez is the answer next match. Cause I would be surprised. I think if Karsdorp starts again next match, wouldn't you? 
on Sunday? I don't know. I mean, if if you're trying to solve this problem, then it it's like you're saying. I think Karlsdorp is is physically the best answer in terms of yeah. like putting a, a round peg in a round hole because mm-hmm. um, Bruno Perez is not someone who's going to rely on physicality in yeah. the game. He's more of a, a give and go player. But yeah, it's, it's hard for me to to say Bruno Perez doesn't deserve a start because he's done nothing wrong. You know, he's done a lot right. So. And then the other option, if if you know Fonseca worries about Jeremy Volga coming down that left side, is he could go Santone <laughs> to just play a yeah. more defensive role, and and but then you're again you're going with the very unbalanced attacking look, which again becomes the yeah. same issue we've seen. So he's going to have some decisions to make coming into the Sassuolo match. You know, they play young boys on Thursday, chance to win the group. I think with just a draw would win them the group. Yep. Um. So I expect to see a lot of turnover again on Thursday. Um. I expect Roma to get the job done, hopefully, because you know, they, they, they beat young boys on the road, they come home. And I think even with heavy turnover and resting some players, I think Roma can have enough to get at least a draw to that match. As, as that, long as they don't show up playing for a draw, because that, yes. that tends to backfire. Yeah. yeah. I, I hate when teams try to play for a draw because I don't ever yeah. find that to work out well. I hate when teams try to play yeah. for zero zeros, especially yeah. you see that in the champions league. Sometimes when a team is, you know, just has to see out a, they're a two, one road victory or something. And then they start to play yeah. the zero zero never works. Um, so young boys might not present the biggest challenge on Thursday, but next Sunday is Sassuolo, uh, Sunday afternoon, uh, 3 PM Italian time, 9 AM East coast time here in the States. And that's going to be another big test of Roma's league credentials. This is the fourth team that they will have played in the top six or so in the, in the table. Um, Mm -hmm. like we mentioned earlier, two draws against Juve and, and Milan, a big loss this this past Sunday against Napoli. So Southwell is their next chance at, chance at redemption, next chance for Fonseca to beat, uh, and I don't want to say a top side in name, but a top side in the terms of the way they're performing. And Southwell is also coming off a heavy loss to Inter. So, you know, they'll be motivated yeah. to bounce back and prove that, you know, the haters wrong. That might say, hang. you know, they can't hang with the big boys. So a, the trip to the Olympico will be a chance for them to, you know, prove their worth. And Fonseca mm-hmm. is going to have another test. And like we mentioned, that right wing back will be an interesting proposition. Uh, in good news, do, we haven't do you, mentioned do it. You, do you feel that Perez should be first choice here? It, it's hard to say. Um, you know, I thought going into this match, Karsdorp's been doing enough to to keep that spot for this week. But I think going into Sassuolo, you know, I'd almost be tempted because Jeremy Boga is such a threat. And Matteo Darmian did such a, a strong, put in a very strong performance with him on uh, Saturday. Did you watch any of the Inter-Sassuolo match? I didn't, I didn't catch it. No. So I, I did watch it because I hadn't really gotten to see Sassuolo much yet this season. And I knew they were, we were playing them next week and Conte made an interesting switch. And on his wing back, cause they also play the three man back line. He took out uh, Hakimi, who's their big attacking player down the right. And was their big purchase this summer and started Matteo Darmian and Darmian just played a very defensive game on him and really took Bogue out of the match. So um, I, I'd be curious to see if Fonseca watches that tape and is tempted to maybe start Santone. I don't know if that's okay. the route he'll go, but with Santone back uh, in training, I know him and Smalling trained individually today, even though the, the team had the day off because they're both working back to fitness. If he's available, I, I wonder if Fonseca goes that way. If not, I would, I would think you go car, um, Pettis just because Karzorp was very poor yesterday. I, I think you got to go with Pettis. I mean, what do you think? Fair enough. Yeah, like I said, it's, it's really hard to argue against Pettis being in the team. Uh, he's done nothing wrong. Uh, I just think that uh, I could definitely, I could understand, like, I, if in case Fonseca starts Karzorp again and gets attacked for it, I could understand if he sticks with him as within the context of what we talked about before, where you, you want to try and uh, encourage your team to be mentally more strong and, and push up and, and cast up as you said is that that guy who has that potential to be that that physical driver down the right more so than Perez or Santon so if he's trying to solve a problem that's um, you know that, that propped up in the last game I understand him going for cast up but again uh, Perez is more than uh, his, his place in this yeah. and, his promises. Yeah. Yeah. and, and, and Santon thing, as well also yeah. a, good, a good argument for him yeah and one thing with Sassuolo, um, one one big takeaway, and we'll have a Sassuolo preview later in the week, but I don't want to get too much into it. But one thing Inter did very well, which I'm sure Fonseca will be looking at in film, is that uh, I read some tactical breakdowns that, you know, Sassuolo likes to build out from the back and Inter kept their two forwards narrow and really pressured the two center backs from, from Sassuolo and forced play out wide a lot and forced their... Okay their two fullbacks to, to really start the play from the back rather than the center backs. And that really 
uh, threw Sassuolo off their game. So I, I'd like to see Roma press harder. They didn't really press Napoli too much yeah. uh, up front. Um, hopefully they'll take so could it. Could it, could it be a 3-5-2 for Roma? Could that, could that be yeah, a that was the that was the setup that um, Conte went with. He went with a 3-5-2 rather than the 3-4-1-2, which he's been going with, and it worked well. They, they used uh, Lautaro and Sanchez to really push the center backs, and it, it yeah. worked out. And then uh, Darmian and I forget who was playing the left wing, but they they for the most part negated Berardi and Boga coming down the wings, which is the, the which are the big danger men. Um, okay. They also didn't have actually to Young down the left, isn't it? I think I think Young probably started, but they didn't have to contend okay. with Caputo at, at striker for Sassuolo. He was out. We'll see if yeah. he's back this week. Um, so okay. it'll be an interesting matchup later in the weekend. Well, Luckily, we won't have to contend with Skamaka, who's yeah. out on loan. <laughs> he's out on loan with Genoa. I know he's been playing well. But, um, yeah. yeah, so tough defeat yesterday. Hopefully, Roma bounces back. Hopefully, they can do something on Thursday against Young Boys just to get some of that confidence back with Sassuolo coming down the pike not too far away, just less than a week from now. Um, yeah. So just keep up with us with our coverage on uh, Chiesa di Totti. We'll have all the previews and match coverage for the Europa League match on Thursday. Um, and then we'll we'll see next Sunday. And Sean, anything you want to add before we we head out? Nope. Just uh um you know, just gonna keep recovering from the from the, the heavy defeat this week. But uh I'm looking forward to you know you've got to turn the page and move on. That's what the talk has been from the dressing room after the, the game. So yeah, I'm ready to move on. Hope that we we put away young boys on Thursday. And uh if we could beat Sassuolo, then uh, we're, we're left with what the, the one big test before Christmas, which is Atalanta, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so, Atalanta on the 20th. Yeah. And so, in one um, uh, one bit of good news for us to help us boost our mood a little bit, Max Kambula was cleared from COVID today. So he true. should return to, tr- to training hopefully, you know, this week. Um, you know, and Smalling trained individually. Hopefully we could get those two back. That would be a big boost, especially if Mancini misses time next weekend. Yep. So... We'll leave you with that little bit of good news uh, after a a dour Sunday uh, (laughs) performance. So thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you guys soon here on Across the Romaverse.